study do your moves. Yeah, study this. podcast on the fight site podcast network with me your host silas mine my co-host as always christian reynolds and we are joined today by esteemed mma analyst uh host of the protect unite podcast and a bunch of other stuff mr dan tom how's it going dan thanks for coming on today oh i'm doing good thanks for having me uh awesome to be on the fight site podcast especially with you guys i haven't I haven't gotten a chance to chat with uh you uh silas or christian so it's, it's an honor to be here Oh, thanks. Honored to have you on. And uh, sorry to the listeners that we have been a little bit active at the beginning of this year, had some stuff going on. And I mean, so, some, some of the cards we've had lately, I, I mean, that Derek Lewis card was hard work, but this was a card we really wanted to talk about. We did manage to get a preview in for it, but um, it was definitely an interesting card uh, headlined by a real super fight. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's longtime now featherweight champion going up to challenge the newly crowned lightweight champion, Islam Makachev. Um, I was kind of just being a downer loser about this fight a little bit because, like, I totally get it from Volkanovsky's perspective that there just wasn't a contender crying out at featherweight who it seemed even had the slightest chance in hell of challenging Volk. But Islam Makachev only just won the belt at 155, and there's plenty of guys who I want to see him fight at that weight. But by the time the fight rolled around, I was definitely hype as shit. Uh, I will say I I picked Islam Makachev um, mostly just based on Volk getting taken down a little bit by Chad Mendes. Uh, Was safe to assume that he had improved. Well, I mean, we knew that he had improved dramatically in that time, but I was like, well... Has he improved specifically enough at that to make the difference against someone who is dramatically better at both taking people down and keeping them down and doing stuff to them in positions than Chad Mendes ever was? And turned out, yeah, he basically was. Uh, yeah, Volk's scrambling and defensive wrestling was absolutely phenomenal in this fight, particularly the deeper the fight went, and it seemed like he just got a good read on uh, Makachev's timing and entries, and it seemed like Volk actually... Like took over the cardio equation as well because we know he's a ridiculous cardio king and actually has experience going five rounds in title fights, which Makachev doesn't, and uh, he had an easier weight cut. I mean, it was an interesting fight as well just for how much success each guy had in the respective guys' uh, perceived wheelhouse. It seemed like a lot of people were just assuming that, well, if Volk can defend a couple of takedowns, then he's just going to easily destroy Makachev on the feet. Um, um, like we should all know that it's like not as simple as that at this point. And even for a fighter like Volkanovski, um, fighting the kind of fight where there's just a massive area that you're just trying to avoid completely just requires you to be so much more disciplined with the distance you fight at and your cage awareness and when you can pick your shots and when you can enter safely and how you deal with the clinches and all of these things. And it's just too much to fucking process, even for someone like Alexander Volkanovsky. And 
he ended up getting dinged a good bit on the feet. Like it seemed a little bit like he got away from his normal tools that he uses to start building a fight. Like it, I didn't see a lot of jabs or low kicks. It seemed a little bit like he got stuck into this kind of classic MMA mindset of, well, committing on the lead is really fucking dangerous, so I have to make it worth it. And there was a lot of kind of leaping across distance with big right hands and like shifting left hooks and stuff. Um, also, I have to wonder if just fighting a dedicated southpaw had anything to do with that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was a fantastic fight. Um, wh- what do you guys make of this? Um, I think, yeah, I think uh, a lot of great points there. Uh, and I, I agree with you as far as your, feelings like maybe it was like the hipster in me that was a bit kind of like ah do we really need to have this and now I think that's coming back as we're seeing the UFC promotional machine uh redefine uh pound for pound not to get into that but uh you know I was just kind of like are we really you know whether it's the pound for pound title we're making the matchup when I went back to rewatch I, I realized um it was it was uh Habib in there that was actually doing the promotion he didn't want the mic at first, but he was the one that set up and said, that, you know, uh, we're going to challenge Volkanovski for number one pound for pound. So, of course, UFC goes, oh, we're going to make this two. And I know those of us that can nitpick, we're like, Ugh. but, uh, I, you know, I myself, too, was excited for the fight by the time it came around. And uh, I will say this, the, the, uh, touching on now fast forwarding to the last part of what you said, as far as jumping into the technical dynamics of the fight we saw. Yes, more closer than people were giving credit for, yada, yada. Uh, I, I agree. But I, I really like that you touch on the southpaw dynamic because that was something I had wondering. He only had the fight against uh, Yusuke Kasuya as far as dedicated southpaws. But again, Kasuya, not the biggest 155er, even though that fight was at UFC 155, folks. Um, obviously, Kasuya, not the biggest 155er in that fight. Most of it was grappling. And he just showed, again, back to, you know, again, basic southpaw sol- solving themes. All he really showed in that fight was, like, outside foot awareness. And when he tried to set up a more... Uh, you know, a rougher version of what we saw in Ortega and Makachev as far as the hand trap shifting, step through, right hand, left cross from southpaw setup. Um, he went to try that and got, you know, time for a takedown against Kasuya. So we really didn't see too much striking dynamic. You you kind of had to look at his fight with Ortega, and Ortega is not a dedicated southpaw. And does he have the countering like a southpaw? Yes, you know, he, he had those left hands that he caught Volkanovsky with a couple times. He really made a lot of hay with it against an older Chan Sung Jung. But, you know, you know, notice the word that was used earlier was dedicated, right? And, and I agree with that as far as dedicated southpaw. Makhachev, not a super, like, you know, dynamic game. He's not throwing spin kicks like Yair. He's not showing, like, you know, uh, the, the the technical boxing dynamics that we geek out over that Volk does, right? But as a South, speaking as a Southpaw, and not to bro science it out, but just speaking as a South Southpaw, I, I can't explain it, but there just seems to be a natural inherent advantage when it comes to countering and exchanges. And that can be explained by, you know, Occam's razor, as simple as, well, most people aren't used to Southpaws because you're not going to come across them as much, no matter how big of a gym you train at. It's just not going to be the majority. Um, but Southpaws hold an inherent uh, countering dynamic. You know, we, we, uh, Max Holloway is long, 
slash longer, maybe not in the reach department. He's a little, just a little shorter than Makachev, but Makachev not big in the reach, right? He's, he's technically an inch shorter than Volk still at 70 inches despite his height. So it, maybe it wasn't the height and length, although the height and length may have accentuated that southpaw counter dynamic. I remember in my Max Holloway breakdowns before I pass it on here, um, I would say, like I do say in Max Holloway breakdowns, maybe he'll bring back the southpaw stance, uh, which he seems to do uh, be less and less interested in. Uh, Holloway does. Um, and he, although Holloway might maybe not the same type of counterpuncher, obviously, I, I, I did feel like those dynamics could maybe have a shot against Volk. So that made me feel a little less crazy seeing this play out. Uh, but I just, I'm just glad you touched on the southpaw thing. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the difficulty that Volk had when it comes to finding tactics to land on the feet had to do with Makachev just not being your traditional like striking threat because his counters aren't based in him just being a super technically proficient counterpuncher. Like his, his pullback rear straight isn't the cleanest looking thing, but it's entirely based off of his incredibly good eyes and reactions. So it's not as simple as, oh, just bait it out and then counter the counter. Because he's going to wait until it's like the correct time to throw it, almost always. You're not just going to catch him with some shit because he's fast enough to recognize whenever you've kind of caught him with his pants down. And he'll just abandon the exchange and like try and grab onto you or like run away. So it wasn't as simple as I can just, you know, do a throw away and then kind of get him to overthrow, dip under, come over the right hand myself. He really had to work for it to kind of throw off Islam's reactions which is like pretty much impossible to do in that context when you're already kind of getting jabbed at from someone taller than you. The guy's also uh, like physically larger. And even though it didn't seem like the size really mattered because uh, Volk was at strength parity, it seemed uh, still like the, the overall grappling proficiency was still in Maksha's favor pretty heavily. I think uh, the fact that Volk wasn't able to just get up whenever he got his back taken is indicative of that enough. Because uh, if you're at strength parity and the guy gets a body triangle and you're against the cage, then you're not going to get out of the body triangle if the guy doesn't let you. Uh, which brings me to round four. Uh, that's the round that a lot of people are, are uh, like talking about as one of Mach's clear rounds. I think Volkanovski won super clearly with overcuts. Overcuts a term coined by me and Tuman during Steve Garcia versus Luis Pena. It's where you do an uppercut, but you do it over your shoulder, so it becomes an overcut. And then you hit him right on the face as they're trying to take your back. And Volkanovski hit him with maybe the best overcuts I've ever seen. They were so technically proficient. He stayed incredibly safe. He was shit-talking during it. He was keeping his neck safe the entire time. Anytime he needed to abandon the overcut and defend his neck, he did. And Makachev started getting flustered. And I genuinely think that he won the fourth round with overcuts. What do you guys think about that round? We've talked about overcuts before. And my issue with it is that like MMA judges never score rounds for overcuts. I think the only time I could remember this ever happening was Bill Algio versus... Andre Feely, and only one judge scored that round for Bill Algio. Um, no, this is the thing. So, but they're like, wrong. Like it, I absolutely expect MMA judges to score back control over what is perceived as a non-leveraging strike. But the thing is, I don't want to get too into you know scoring criteria and you know position should 
be its own reward because there there is re- reasonable argument that like that level of uh, positional dominance should be a, a scoring factor in in of itself. But here's the thing: if you have a dominant position and you're just letting the other guy wail on you and you're not really doing anything offensive when you have the position of more leverage, then why should you be winning that round? What, what do you make of this, Dan? It's interesting, and I'm now going to credit uh, you guys and Tuman uh, for the overcut usage. I'm not uh, people that know me know I'm not a big fan of this punch because it's just adds into the whole gamut of non-leveraging strikes that tend to get both factored in by casuals and because of the criteria and how it's right, how it's written, and the subjectivity of it. Both those things allow even you know. Uh, educated minds, if you want to say so, uh, to even like argue amongst like these these kind of punches where you're punching behind yourself. Now, there is a way. It is annoying, and Volk. Well, here's how much I love Volk. He was doing it in a way where I, even me being ardently against these punches and scoring them, I was like, wow, you know, Volk's actually looking to, to you know to Christian's point. He's actually getting like the leverage you would want for this. Like, I don't think there is a better way to throw this strike, you know, to, to, to Christian's point. I, I don't disagree with that, in fact. And overall, uh, overarching is that it's just bad optics, right? Kind of like what Silas is saying. Like, I don't necessarily know if you should win the round, but at the same time, if you have bad enough fight IQ, you're skilled enough to work and burn the calories that should credit you, that, that, that should be, at least lends itself to part of the scoring criteria, getting to said positions that are hard to get to, dominant positions. But if you're also dumb enough to get, you're, you're skilled enough to get there, but too dumb to do anything with it, and you're going to let optics muddy around, like, I do feel like, even though I don't feel like you should maybe lose the round for it, I, I get it. I don't, like, especially under the criteria, you're definitely playing with fire. It's stupid looking for IQ-wise, and, you know, I would be screaming at you for a corner because now we're going to go into the next round with burnt-out legs, you know, as you saw. Um, Makachev, maybe he would have tired anyways. It was a decently, uh, you know, paced fight, but in the fifth round, of course, his legs are, are rubber, right? Like, yeah, like, I, I, I totally I totally get it as far as it being bad optics, but scoring-wise... No, you know, not only, you know, are they non-leveraging strikes and you're you're able to throw the strikes. Now, if you're not, again, that's a different argument, what Silas said. But again, judging from the position, like, it means a lot. Like, I could do my math homework from behind there. I have more of a chance of knocking you out. I can submit you. Hey, if we want to talk about sex and get it real dirty, there's only one person that's penetrating in this position, and it ain't the person with their back taken, all right? <laughs> so whether we're going prison rules or, 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 you know, martial arts criteria or anything in between, um, I feel like you got to reward the person that earned that position. Yeah, and I, I think me and basically anyone who's in the MMA analysis – no matter how much into the like technically correct things, we all still kind of have the understanding that context matters enough to where you can do the stupidest shit. And as long as it's like effectively winning you the fight, then you got to score it accordingly. So like overcuts are fucking stupid. But if you're like fucking bobbing and weaving, like punching around your shoulder, punching over your shoulder on like both sides of your head, you're like moving your head so that you can open up windows, like fucking whack them all. And then you slip to the side, threaten getting your back untaken. Like you, you'd be like hitting them in the face enough. And eventually their legs start to loosen up a little bit. Cause they're like, oh, what the fuck? This guy keeps hitting me in the face. Like, it's a dumb technique, certainly, but that's why I love it, because we just got to see, in one of the highest level fights that has ever happened in MMA, uh, overcuts 
arguably won a round for, for one of the fighters. It was the difference maker. And, like, anything could be the difference maker. It could have been, like, uh, someone, like, set up a Rabona kick into a fucking two-touch kick. Like, it could be some stupid shit. Like, eventually that'll happen in a high enough level fight to where it really matters. And that's why MMA is so cool. Because you, you can just do stupid shit like that. And overcuts don't exist in any other rule set. Or like, in any other combat sport. Another fight to look at, I think, that, that demonstrates this line walking arguably finer than round four is uh, Yana Kunitskaya versus Ketlin Vieira, <laughs> I think, like, round three or whatever. But at least um, at least Yana Kunitskaya, like, gets up and lands, like, slashing elbows to cut uh, to cut Ketlin open, but not, not to get too sidetracked. I, I don't know which one comes closer, but I could see perhaps a, a hipster argument. I, I did score round four for um, Mahachev and, and didn't have too much of an issue with that. And I was, not to, ju- not to jump the gun, but I was kind of surprised um, how I ended up scoring this fight after rewatching this. How'd you score it? Um, so even though I, of all the quote-unquote higher-level judge names we have, I actually disagree quite a lot with Derek Cleary to the point where I almost just, you know, confused him with Doug, Doug Crosby uh, because I just would disagree with his scorecard so much. I'm like, wait, is, it, is he the bad one or is it? You know, and, and but this one, uh, I actually ended up agreeing with Cleary's four one on rewatch. Uh, initially, I was a forty eight forty seven either way kind of a guy, um, but again, the judges don't have the luxury like we do to rewatch things. And rewatching certain things, um, they were close rounds, uh, many of them. But I did give the edge to um, Mahachev and saw a lot of you know, uh, body knees as, as he steadily figured out that clinch knees uh, was something he could really get away with and kind of would seem like the obvious answer to Volk, but, like, no one seemed to make it work as well as Makhachev, and we could almost just, like, watch him, like, discover it in real time at a certain point. But, yeah, I went I went, I went 4-1, first four for Makhachev, very slightly, not, like, you know, anything super confident. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, scoring for Volk definitely gets into a pretty, like, uh, tinfoil hat like purist scoring damage kind of thing um where where you just go oh well none of the wrestling success makachev had uh made any difference because volk was fine and he landed a bunch of shots on the feet but as i said volk did still get hurt several times and i I never like to get too bogged down in scoring discussions because it, it was a really interesting fight and there's plenty of other stuff to talk about um, but you know, uh, I think people also just like to score it for Volk because he was a big underdog and everyone loves Volk and he really showed up and still had a, had a case for, for winning three rounds of the fight. And yeah, I, and as you were saying something about the optics, you know, Volk won on who wanted it more rules. Yeah. I, I had the fight. 4-1 Volk live, but I had actually zero fucking question they were going to get with Amakashev. Because I, I, I watched, I had it 4-1 with the understanding that it's probably like 48-47 either way. And then like the wrestling bias that judges tend to have, where like if a guy just has a wrestling threat, he automatically gets like plus two to winning the round. I try to score fights when I'm watching now based on how I expect MMA judges to score fights rather than what I think is cool. Absolutely. There's always two scorecards in that aspect. Yeah. I, I, I say the same thing to people. There's there's what I think the judges are going to score, uh, and I score, and obviously I've, I've done more due diligence to make sure to be in line with the criteria and try to participate in that discussion as a media member to hopefully 
you know, uh, help it along uh, in any way I can. But uh, but yeah, like not to get too bogged down. It's it really is a great fight, and you know, you when when it when a round is close, you can automatically with the criteria argue for the other person. So you're you're always gonna have that. And I think if we can understand that at least for now, that'll that'll help mute you know some of that noise. Uh, but I will say, uh, live, I thought you know, three and five were definitive for uh, for, for Volk, um, and not not as definitive as I rewatched it. Obviously, rescoring it, and I will say, even I think it was round two, uh, where like you could really have that cheeky argument uh, as opposed to round four, as far as like, yeah, Islam got some control time in there, but what did he really do with it? He did catch him with a counter that dropped Volk to a brief knee, but Volk was right on the clock, and the follow up head kick was blocked, and I know block kicks still hurt, and those of us who uh, follow Muay Thai or have trained that understand that, but let's be honest, it you know a block was a block. It's not like he got hit by that. And if you count, you know, Volk's work prior to that, some of the damaging work in between, the fact that Makachev didn't really, he was just trying to kill clock. He was going for half-hearted submission attempts just so he could rest and get the ref off his back. Even the commentary was noting that. He wasn't throwing strikes. So, like, there's, like, cheeky arguments for Volk to be, like, two, three, two, three, five Volk, you know? Like, he wasn't crazy saying that um, himself. Yeah, and uh, you, you brought up the knees earlier. Which I think are a main reason that uh, going into the previous hypothetical super fight that was uh, set up to happen, Charles Oliveira versus Volkanovski, uh, I kind of think that Charles would have beaten the absolute piss shit out of Volk, even though I think Volk looked fantastic. And yeah, of course you think that, Christian. <laughs> of course I think that, but also it's like literally like Charles' thing to do all the stuff that Volk fucking hates in this type of matchup. Like, it long kicks to the body really good knees that are reactive and proactive. Like he's able to th- like throw a left hook, just to get a collar tie knee in the body. Or if you step into hard, he'll, he'll just blast you to the body of the knee. Also the front kick threat, like he will low kick with him. He's got good power. Uh, he can take a shot and then continue to defend on the ground. He's just like a really good talking about Charles Oliver. <laughs> I know. Well, you, you, you maybe get defensive about it. You could have just been like, Oh yeah, maybe. All of that being said, I think I actually quite strongly favor Volk in a rematch if it does happen, because it really seemed like if if anyone had the guy figured out and made the relevant adjustments over the course of the fight, it was Volk. It's not something I want to see immediately, but I wouldn't be surprised if both of the guys just win their next two or three fights, and then it just seems like the thing to do. Yeah, and there's uh, speaking of adjustments, I feel like Volk um, also, not just tactical, but like... uh, well, that still fits under the tactical umbrella, but like within himself adjustments, meaning uh, one thing I noticed on rewatch, which I didn't catch live, was how how rushed Volk seemed to be. And I don't know if it was like that attitude that he was bringing into the fight that kind of transferred into the fighting style. But, you know, don't get me wrong. He's not exactly like, uh, you know, uh, Jose Aldo is in being almost uber conservative, almost too conservative at times to not throw himself out of position. But Volk also isn't someone to like fundamentally throw himself out of position over and over again. And uh, I don't know about over and over again, but he was certainly doing it a lot and a lot more than he usually does and was getting himself off balance, especially early in the first two rounds. And um, it was almost costing him moments. And like even off of his own success, it almost got worse when he would have moments of success. Um, which is why, you know, Islam would be able to counter him off of that and maybe disappear Volk's success in the judges' minds or other people's minds to that to, to that aspect. Did you guys catch that, or was it just me? No, that was kind of what I was saying uh, earlier. I, w- I wasn't sure if it was Volk just 
wanting to make the most of every exchange and wanting to make it worth it if he was going to commit. Um, or as we maybe suggested, it was him not feeling as comfortable um, just using his normal, like, kind of space-filling tools uh, in the open stance. I think it was probably a combination of both. Yeah, I, I actually think uh, you kind of hit on something because Volkanovsky has a tendency that doesn't come out very much, but it has come out in, uh, I believe, three fights now, where in the Chad Mendez fight, the second Max Holloway fight, and then this fight, where if he's at even a slight deficit or feels like he has to make up some ground, he gets a lot more risky, but in ways that are not uh, like in line with his general philosophy for fighting. Because he's normally a very safe fighter. like He'll do safety leads to get closer. He's not just going to like barrel into exchanges but he got dropped by chad and then was like okay i gotta go fuck this kid up and he started getting really aggressive and if chad mendez was a bit cleaner of a counter puncher or maybe had some length to insulate him towards volk's advances then he might have been able to do something and then volkanovsky even if he just didn't gas even if he didn't just didn't gas yeah and then in the second max hallway fight uh the time that max dropped volk with the uppercut left hook was basically a reaction to Volk losing the first round. So it seems like if you can get like steady wins over Volk and make him feel like he's at a deficit, you can kind of snowball off of it based off of kind of punishing his uh, like uh, somewhat overreactions to losing a round. You know, I thought that even in the moment where uh, he gave up his back in the fourth round of this fight, yeah, it, it seemed it seemed like he just actually kind of started getting frustrated and just like took his eye off the ball for a moment and he just tried to get to his knees and, and crawl to the cage to stand up as quick as he could and obviously just got his back taken and, and gave it up for the rest of the round. Well, whatever argument you want to make about the events that followed that. We have to keep in mind, he's like not a particularly good athlete. He's just an average bloke. You know, an average bloke is going to get a little steamed every once in a while. Just a regular bloke. Like, you know, he, he didn't have his daily beer. His, uh, his kebab, his, his uh, Volk cooking with Volk. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, for the cooking equation, when it seems to be 145ers and 155ers, elite level champions or whatever you want to call it, going at each other, whether it's uh, Alvarez, McGregor, Poirier, Holloway, or uh, this fight, Mahachev, uh, Volkanovsky, like if there's a Southpaw counterfighter in the equation, just pick that person. Yeah. Just pick them. You might be onto something there. That's very true. Southpaw counters like own own to those matches. Like they just put stamps on those all those matches in different ways. That's a very astute observation that is very strange because also it doesn't all, mean anything, but it's just it weird. doesn't mean anything, but it also kind of means something because it's just very strange. On like a meta level, it probably matters or will matter soon enough. That's some that's some betting picks analysis right there. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, there I go. fuck with it though because it it does kind of make sense. Uh, if you have two guys that don't really know how they match up against each other dynamic wise when it comes to the rest of the division it's going to make the just general tendencies more important so southpaws tend to just win matchups in mma i think it's something like 60 something percent wins just for southpaws so if you wanted to you can make money just picking every southpaw southpaw advantage uh and then maybe we should probably talk about another fight uh but also that fight was so good so just gotta say great fight yeah and um, something that makes me totally happy to see Volk, you know, just going back down to 145, uh, Yaya Rodriguez genuinely looked fantastic against Josh Emmett. Um, I did favor Yaya Rodriguez quite strongly because I'm just like, Josh Emmett spends too long moving around on the outside, winding up, 
and Yaya Rodriguez is just going to kick the shit out of him. I didn't know if I expected him to kick that much shit out of him just immediately. <laughs> I also really liked that Yaya Rodriguez, you know, something I was worried about for him in this fight is that he does, well, in pre- previous fights, like the Korean zombie fight has had a tendency to just like run directly backwards out of exchanges or when he's like recovering his stance after throwing a big old kick and this was a lot of the success the Korean zombie was having throughout that fight was just chasing him out of every exchange. Um, and Josh Emmett can cover distance behind a blitz of big old hooks to the head and body really fucking quickly and violently. So that was a concern, but something I really liked that Yaya was doing in this fight was that he was just doing like uh, Andy wristy ass kick punches where he would just like, Every time he led with a kick, he would just like wang a hook while he was still on one leg, which just meant that like there was always a pocket threat following the kick, and it just meant he was able to stand his ground. It made it more difficult for for Josh Emmett to just capitalize on him, uh, constantly leading with huge kicks that he had to recover his stance from. Um, also meant that he got dinged really hard by a big old Josh Emmett right hand while he was just on one leg. But he's Yaya Rodriguez, so he was fine. Um, yeah, just did great work with the with the southpaw body kicks, intercepting knees, landed a really cheeky uh, like like lead elbow over Emmett's lead shoulder that dinged him in the second round, and then um, I was getting super mad at Yaya for every time he got put on his back, just like uh, chilling there and throwing up subs, and then while Emmett was like trying to stack to get off some ground and pound, Rodriguez just uh just hit a cheeky armbar into a triangle and won. He'd already kind of kicked the fuck out of Josh Emmett. I, I, I feel like it was, it was an attritional, you know, reminded me of yeah, uh, Anthony Pettis, just like body kicking Benson Henderson into arm barring himself. I, I guess that's a good segue from the Southpaw dynamic because, yeah, like I, I was get, getting mad at Rodriguez for going away from Southpaw because for a second there, it looked like he actually had a double attack and even just a Southpaw double attack, that alone that sequencing is more processed than Yaya Rodriguez has ever shown in anything in his entire octagon career. Cause he's like an, an insane, you know, uh, as my guy, Connor Rebus would say, you know, athletic, athletic cheater. He's an opportunist. Oh, one of the biggest ones in the um, sport. He's a lunatic and he just vibes and does crazy, like dynamic offensive things. And I, I fucking love it. It's dope. Like literally until his win over the corpse of BJ Penn, up until up until then, he only used one side of his body for both kicks and punches. It was so limited. So like he he actually has come a long way for people that have been watching and even could be argued as as Yair haters in the past. Like he's he's he has uh he he has definitely pro, uh, pro, uh, progressed a lot. And I was you know again as somebody who called specifically the southpaw body kick and for him to beat him in round two. I was like getting mad that he was going away from that. And then of course, as someone who bet that outcome, I was also getting mad that he was electing to just chill and guard. Right. Um, because did you bet finish or knockout? Uh, I bet, I bet knockout and specific knockout round two. I I bet the the, the best bet, my, my, my biggest bet on the card and my most confident bet was that this fight doesn't go the distance, which was at plus money. And I'm like, are you kidding me for these guys? That was a plus money. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. It even closed at like even money, which is still better. Just like, rely too much on durability. There's no way this was going five either way. No, both guys have like been on the heels of losing three and five round decisions and have pulled out knockout wins like in the fleeting seconds, literally. It's like you, it's a good, a good of a bet as any, I guess. 
but yeah, like, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's like, it's like, ah, you don't want to see the fighter. Same thing with, obviously, if we're going to have that criticism for, uh, if one of our fighters has back control and we're, you know, in the corner, we're, you know, trying to properly criticize, like, yeah, we want them to do something with it. Well, if your fighter has guard, you either want them to do something with it or get up. Now, Yair ended up doing something with it. But both rounds one and two, there was some decent. Uh, it was a little too comfortable on his back. I don't even think he was as hurt um, as, as I initially was on the rewatch than I did on the live watch. It was just more of his suspect decision making. Again, back to the note of Yair only striking from one side, like in and getting like crazy hype back in the day that I felt was undeserved, which is probably how you got Frankie Edgar at plus money back at UFC 211. But um, you also had Yair doing like a bunch of like just random guard stuff that like it was like a four-year-old finger painting it on the wall and we were trying to sell it as art like 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 non-jujitsu guys and like especially like this is rogan era rubber guard right prime peak right we still had goldie on the broadcast uh there was no auditing of the rubber guard talk and uh and whatnot and so like they're at and he wasn't even doing rubber guard or anything but they were acting like he yeah gotta watch out for this dangerous guard like he yair was literally putting himself in inside heel hooks and dan hooker fights and other fights and they were like oh yair's got him in trouble and i'm like he's on his back putting himself in a reverse heel hook how is he in anyways um so the fact that he did finish in his guard actually is a big statement even though it was you know, nothing crazy. It was a really nice arm bar to triangle setup, like Silas said. But um, but yeah, man, as somebody who has been very critical on Yair, obviously, as you can tell, I was, you know, I, I sign off, man. I, I was I was really impressed. You know, I don't know if I'm going to pick him against Volk or anything, but was I impressed? Am I more excited going forward? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to pick him against Volk, um, but this was a fight that I wanted to see anyway because Yair Rodriguez, I kind of think of it as like the whole like Carlos Condit versus GSP where Condit was like the least likely of his contemporaries to have any kind of like replicable success against GSP, but he was also the most likely to randomly kill him with a single moment of dynamic offense. And that's kind of how I feel about Yair Rodriguez and <laughs> yeah. uh, Volkanovsky. Um, so the fight's just interesting from that perspective. Uh, uh, Christian, well, what did you think of this one? I, I, I want to talk about, what Josh Emmett did wrong, but first I just want to uh, also suck Yair's dick. Uh, he he did he he has like a weird thing for me where he's I have like a special place in my heart for him because the first year that I was like fully watching MMA, I got to one learn that shotness exists when he fucked up BJ Penn because I didn't know that people would just become bad if they got older. Uh, and then also I got to see that, uh, not every prospect that Joe Rogan talks about is actually that good when Frank Yeager beat the fucking piss shit out of him and almost retired him. So like, I just learned a lot from watching a year and I'm still learning from him because I get to see him just be like, yeah, I'll just be fast as fuck and throw kind of fucky looking left body kicks. Like they were good. Like they were powerful. They were fast. But they weren't like technically perfect or anything. They were just hard as hell, and he was throwing them with full power, not having any regard for his opponent's defense. Uh, and then getting into what Josh Emmett did wrong, he is not good about hunting the body on someone who just straight up retreats. If someone puts up a high guard like Calvin Cater does and kind of takes away their own ability to counter back, because Cater's not really going to counter from his guard he's normally just going to put the the earmuffs on and then just like hope that you've stopped throwing at him uh while whereas yair he'll just 
fucking drop his hands and start scuttling backwards and then maybe do a flying knee, maybe do a spinning elbow, maybe do an up elbow, maybe just like stop on a dive and throw a hard straight. He could do really anything in that context because he's just so versatile and uh, like risky. Like he'll, he'll just do stupid shit that you really shouldn't be doing in these contexts, but they work out because he has the chin to back it up. And he also is just fast enough to, like catch you off guard whenever you're thinking that you're safe. Cause in a lot of positions that you're traditionally safe, you're just not against him. Uh, I, I think back to the Max Holloway fight where Yair kind of diffused a good 70% of Max's pressure just by having an up elbow spinning elbow counter threat attack. Cause whenever Running he was away, threatening a spin kick. Yeah. It, like against Max, if Yair was going backwards, uh, is like straight back, he would threaten the up elbow. If he wanted to go sideways, he would threaten the spinning elbow. And that covered both directions that he could go. So if he wanted to go forward, he could just threaten the up elbow, get to the middle of the ring. If he wanted to like circle out really hard, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to spinning elbow you. And then you just like hop out to the center. It was very strange. But that type of weird thinking is actually really useful at a high level. Yeah, he, he really benefits from people not wanting to get highlight reeled by him. Yeah, you establish the threat several fights pr- prior by killing a guy once with something stupid in the last second, and then forever people are like, oh, this guy could kill me. Yeah, he knows how to play off that, and I love that you mentioned the elbows too, because the one thing I didn't mention from Makhachev was underrated knees, but on the second watch, I didn't catch on how many up elbows and catching counter elbows that Makhachev was throwing and even hitting and slicing at certain points. So something to think about for Volk uh, Yair there. Yeah, I, I could see Yair giving Volk problems in scenarios that we would traditionally expect Volk to beat the piss shit out of him, mm-hmm. like the clinch. Uh, what would Volk do if uh, Yair is just really insistent on throwing a huge power shot in the clinch and then just basically slinking to the floor and then uh, playing guard for the rest of the round? Because Yair is not as good as jujitsu as he is billed as and he's not as good at jujitsu as his results have given him because he basically has a tech sub over brian ortega right. and then he sub josh emmett but there's a ton of context to those wins but you st- but even though there's context of the wins you still can't disregard that the only person recently to fuck him up on the ground is max holloway who is a crazy talent on the ground as well like max holloway's grappling chops are severely underrated he is great on top and a really good offensive wrestler if, if he decides to MMA you. He just traditionally is more in line to strike you. And I think it's the type of fight where I could really see Volk getting hit by a bunch of stupid shit, but kind of shrugging it off. And even though Yair's really uh, kind of nutty and versatile, I would just expect Volk to beat the piss shit out of him from guard. Yeah, God help Yair if he's like gets too high on the smell of his own farts and starts just pulling guard on vault. Because <laughs> uh, we saw how that worked out for Brian Ortega when he couldn't get those subs off. Yeah, Volk arguably stopped him twice with ground and pound, <laughs> but that's another argument for another day. Or it should have stopped him at least at the end of round three when he couldn't answer the yeah. bell and get up. You know what I mean? But anyways, but yeah, yeah, Volk, Volk does not mess around in that department. But yeah, I, I was certainly impressed because I wouldn't say I was a Yaya hater, but I've always like. There's always going to be some kind of frustration when someone is that physically gifted. Like, he is one of the most ridiculous athletic specimens I think I've ever seen in MMA. When you factor in, like, durability and speed and cardio and all of this shit. Um, 
you, you know, someone like that who, <laughs> as you say, for the beginning of his UFC career, literally only struck off of one side. There's, there's always going to be that, that kind of, what, what, why aren't you better? And he hasn't gone tremendously more process driven, but it kind of doesn't matter. I, th- I think just he, he has enough experience now to just be able to come into a fight and vibe and just figure out what is the thing that he needs to do offensively to kill the other guy. And he's mm-hmm. still like immortal. So like, He's, he's fine. Yeah, so something frustrating whenever watching this type of prospect, or not even frustrating, because sometimes it's very rewarding, but uh, people that are doing analysis on that type of fighter will think over and over, oh, if he just learned a bit more process, if he just learned a bit more process. But there's always two paths you can go when you're a Yaya Rodriguez type of fighter. You can either learn some process to work into your crazy game, or you can just double down on the crazy shit and maybe add a double deck. <laughs> or, or like right, so right. one process that that you can do it doesn't it doesn't have to be deep it could just be sometimes i do body kick sometimes i do head kick or sometimes i do body kick sometimes i do straight punch it doesn't have to be deep you just need one thing that's consistent enough to win you a couple rounds over the course of the, the next several years of your career and then just double down on really stupid weird shit uh like you don't have to have that much process <laughs> you can just be weird right as long as you're you got the chops for it I agree. I, in fact, I would say the one thing that I just would think Yair would need is something. It was something Silas already touched on, which was defense. And thankfully, he made some improvements. I don't know about the cage footwork, so to speak, but he not only kept his hands higher, which is like basic day one stuff, but he wasn't doing that with Max. And I know Max isn't as big of a puncher as Emmett, but still, right? That was a worry. Like, are you going to be that lackadaisical, dude? Um, but not just keeping his hands up. I notice he's also rolling off of his crosses, which is smart. Even doing it with those cheeky counterbalancing twos that uh, Silas was talking about, the traditional martial arts shots like Lyoto Drop Rashad with it, even the late shouts to Elias Theodoru, rest in peace, would even do those things where you counterbalance your own kick with a cross off the same side. Um, he was even rolling off of those. When he gets caught, if you notice, he got too happy like landing it one or two times. And the, the time where he gets caught in him in the first round, he does left kick from southpaw, counterbalances with the power left cross, and instead of rolling his head off, he actually stays and tries to get an extra, an extra check right hook in and um, just keeps his head there for the taking, and that's actually what why he got caught. But to his credit, he is trying to roll under crosses, which is something that for some reason is still not done by enough fighters in MMA. Yeah, and uh, like a lot of his head movement is like, wacky athletic dude making it up in the moment head movement but but he like we say he can get away with that shit and he's trying he's developing a mind for these things even though they're not uh as technically well schooled as you might like to see yeah and yair has the weird dynamic fighter thing that happens to some guys where the more rote your opponent is the less neat your tricks will get and i think josh emmett has just enough versatility to him to where he got bulldozed instead of kind of just blandly losing to green zombie for four and a half rounds and then finishing him randomly because the the yair versus green zombie fight it, it was really good in the in the moment but on rewatch it's the same fucking exchange over mm-hmm. and over yes. and over and that's why yair doesn't find anything interesting to do it's because if your opponent keeps throwing ideas at you then you have stuff to react to Whereas if it's just the same fucking idea getting thrown at you over and over and you don't have the the technical depth to figure that out, he's not just going to figure out, oh, this guy doesn't know how to lead properly with his offense. I will just fade back or, you know, pivot sometimes and then counter to the body or, you know, rip a body kick off of that. 
he just was like, oh, he he's just landing the same shots on me over and over, and then I land my same shots on him over and over, and whoever goes first wins. And then in the last second, Korean Zombie got a little too froggy and then got fucked up. So if you give Yair a guy that's going to try enough things against him, I think that it can be... He's more dangerous to fight the better you are, almost. So Volkanovski might actually be pared down enough to where he could just completely shut out Yair's striking. Who knows? But we'll see it soon enough. Yeah, I'm I'm down for it. Um, yeah, so I guess moving on, uh, Jack Della Maddalena just easily destroyed Randy Brown. Uh, there was maybe some concerns that someone having a having a rangy outside style could be a struggle for someone who just like loves to get into the pocket and sling heat like Della Maddalena. Although he might just kind of get picked off on the way in. No, it took him like two minutes just to get Randy Brown to the fence and just like cut him off with a right hook on an exit and then just jumped on his back for the finish. Easy fight. Yeah, yeah. I was almost kind of uh, disappointed that he didn't have to go to the body or uh, even... He even have to go to the body. Yeah, or use some of his uh, underrated um, kicks that he will occasionally do from the orthodox stance. Della Medellin actually has some decent right kicks. Um, but yeah, he just... It was... For me, it was cage positioning, you know. Uh, you know we just talked about Yair's footwork and Emmett, both of them, it's hard because they both like to fight with their backs to the cage. And Randy Brown both likes to make fights close, perhaps because of this, and likes to, uh, in conjunction, just kind of, uh, you know, it doesn't take much to get him off, uh, get get his back to the fence. And, like, Madalena, I was comparing him to Robbie Lawler, not for style for style, but although he did it, he, you know, knocks him out from the southpaw stance here. Uh, but, like, yeah, you there are certain fighters like Lawlers or Linekers where you get into their kill zone, the inner black octagon lines and fence, like, that's all you really need to just up the chance of massively in your opponent's favor. So I kind of picked, picked this fight on cage positioning and like, yeah, just the Randy Brown was actually doing decent from my memory in the beginning of the fight. But as soon as he backed himself up to the cage, he just instant died. It's a, it's a weird thing where Madeline is actually quite a lot deeper than he's gotten to show in the UFC, but his opponents just keep dying before he can show any more depth. <laughs> yes. Cause, Cause if you look at his, contender series fight it went three rounds because his opponent was incredibly durable and also brought in enough for wrestling threat to show that he has some nice first layer scrambling and even second layer scrambling he's just a he's very agile he has good hips and like great proprioception he just knows where he is relative to his opponent and that shows through in his cage craft because every single fight he's had in the ufc so far he's just kind of fucked them up on positional awareness and tight counters uh, this fight was, I, I kind of expected it to go a little bit like this, but I figured it would be, you know, the second round and he would probably get his nose bloodied before he knocked him out. But I didn't expect it to be overall that difficult of a fight just due to Randy Brown uh, being allergic to pushing his advantages. I feel like he could drop Madalena twice and then still fumble the finish. So I, I, I'm not surprised, but I am kind i'm surprised uh, how easy it was I'm, I'm i'm a little surprised that he he just finished him the first exchange like i figured randy brown would just like kind of whoop out of the way the first couple times and then just kind of get adjusted on but he just got caught so quickly that he didn't even get the chance to adjust to it or get adjusted on it, it seemed like just a, a bit of weird mma randomness uh, along with it being a rough fucking matchup for randy brown yeah and 
well, yeah, what else do you say about Della Maddalena? Just like what a, what a way to start a UFC career. Four first round finishes in a row, kind of uh, progressively more impressive performances over better and better competition. Definitely deserves a ranked fight. Uh, they're all filthy too. Yeah, they're all disgusting. Uh, I would. I think I'd really like to see him fight the winner of like uh, Li Jing Liang versus Michael Chiesa. Both, both, I agree. both, uh, both good tests. Like Leech and someone who can actually kind of box, and Chiesa in just like a big wrestly dude. And then for just going to do quick hits for the rest of the card because pretty much literally every single other fight was uh, like dramatically worse than the three we mentioned. Yeah, the rest of it is just uh, Australian dudes versus not Australian dudes fights and. Yeah, yeah, Justin Taffer uh, yeah, knocked out Parker Porter in like a minute. Caught him, just fade back left hand. One of big old blitz did did a fade back left hand. It was it was, was nothing crazy. <laughs> yeah, the guy is overweight, so everyone called him Mark Hunt because he walk away KO'd someone. Like, no, he's he's just lazy and didn't want to continue. <laughs> he also trains yeah. with Mark Hunt, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, if you're friends with Mark Hunt and you walk away KO someone, they're gonna say you're like Mark Hunt. It was some some dollar store Mark Hunt shit. I liked it. I need Harry Hunsucker matched up with Mark Hunt on the regionals just to continue the theme <laughs> oh. of matching up Harry Hunsucker with every Samoan destroyer in the MMA realm. I agree. But yeah, we learned we learned absolutely zero from this fight. Classic, uh, classic heavyweight, uh, heavyweight madness. And the fact that we uh, uh, got the names right uh, on any of these fights, we're doing more promotion than the UFC president did for the main event. So <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Uh. Then Joshua Kulabau submitted Melsik Bagdasarian. Melsik Bagdasarian continuing to disappoint me. But Kulabau's pretty good. He's dogged. He's the type of guy you'd expect to win this type of matchup. Yeah, this was like, if Melsik doesn't just like kill Kulabau with one kick really early, then Kulabau's probably going to chase him around the cage and punch him in the head over and over again. Um, he ends up, I don't remember what the, what the sequence was that, that led to the back take. I think it was just Melsic kind of falling over off of a wacky kick and just Kulabau jumping on his back immediately. Also, after one of the nastiest nut kicks I've ever seen when uh, oh. uh, Melsic bags hit him with a, a spinning side kick to the nuts as Kulabau was throwing a low kick. Yeah, Peter Hickmont, who looks like he uh, bruised beers at the Shire, like was not impressed. He was like, oh, that, that barely had anything <laughs> on it. Like those Australian refs, man, they have a high tolerance for pain. Like remember when remember when uh, Anthony a- Anthony Parosh got like a- AFK'd by Ryan Bader, uh, and and Parosh is just like you just let that let it happen. I think uh, Parosh also or yeah like there was Hunt and um, Mark Hunt and Miochik. Yeah, they, they let people take some uh, some fouls there. Um, I will say I, I will say real quick Melsic Bagdasarian though he my favorite part was uh, so one of the things I I always marked against him I noticed was that he crowds his own success and forces things into the clinch all the time, which is not good for him, even when he has guys hurt. And uh, he got so frustrated with that at a certain point, he headbutted a Kulabau after the uh, after the, the groin shot, too, that didn't even get called. That was great. It's actually pretty based. If what you're doing isn't working, just cheat. <laughs> Fuck it. There's yeah. no consequences, really, in MMA. <laughs> you, you just get... Oh, there isn't. There just isn't. cheat as much yeah. as you want, and hopefully it works out. Uh, Kletzen Rodriguez finished Shannon Ross. It was pretty nice. It was very quick. I missed quick. this one. What happened? Uh, he walked up and then uh, swarmed him. 
and and easily won. It was just a TKO. Nothing great. Uh, he, nice. he did a little bit of body work, hit him with the head some, then the fight was over. Uh, Jack Jenkins versus Don Shanus. I'm only mentioning this one because my mother liked it. Uh, Jack Jenkins did a left hook to the body low kick, and my mom went, oh! Yeah, Jack Jenkins, is, was he looked pretty cool. One of these random Aussie guys who has a cool, unique game, doing lots of like nice Muay Thai trips and say some cool shot selection on the feet. Uh, Loma Look Burn Me had a cool performance against Elise Reed. Um, and he kind of just fucked Elise Reed up with a couple of low kicks in the first round and then got taken down, got her back taken, but uh, got to the end of the round. Then, beginning of the second round, she uh, she did a nice uh, kind of like slip to right hand uh, into a clinch situation, which, I mean, yeah, being a like an actual Thai clinch specialist, it's something that she's just really good at and seems to. Like it occurred to me that actually fits like surprisingly well into like women's MMA meta where upper body takedowns are the shit. And it just allowed her to get around to Elise Reed's back and hit a suplex and I mean got on her back and got the finish. I don't think anyone was expecting that. Especially Loma Lagoon. Thai Jiu Jitsu yeah. is the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got to feel good over there at Bangtao uh, with the work they put in. Because it's funny, like I've been saying, that Stamp Fairtex is actually way better than Jiu Jitsu than she is at Muay Thai. Maybe it's the same as Loma Look Me. We'll have to see. Well, I mean, literally, yeah. She has more submission wins in her career than KOs. <laughs> an arm bar and an RNC. Only one KO. That's crazy. And it was a ground elbow. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy Loma Look Me. I've never expected her to go that far in this division just because she, she's. Uh, both tiny and like has a hyper specialized like traditional martial arts background skill set and don't tend to see these kind of fighters go particularly far in MMA but she's like seven and two in the UFC now she's had kind of remarkable success given all things and I always enjoy her fights same here love Loma um that was pretty much it Zubaira Tukugov fought a guy called Elves on in the first fight and kind of uh, lost a split decision robbery was what it was. Card was, uh, card was kind of not that great once you got past the first, I mean, uh, the top few fights. I was just going to say, I only half watched that opening fight, but uh, yeah, it just seemed like a classic um, judges swayed by blood and big swinging misses. And coincidentally, the person on the wrong end air quotes of the scorecard was a counterpuncher. Coincidentally, in MMA, hmm. yeah, <laughs> that never happens. Was also yeah. classic uh, Tukugov taking his foot off the gas true, and true. not not yes. pushing his advantages. Uh, he still definitely deserved to win, but it didn't actually didn't <laughs> particularly surprise me. Michael Bisping right. was furious about it. Yeah, he was. And uh, now on to a much, much, much weaker card, but still got some fun fights. Yeah, on. I mean, this uh, card was. Card was supposed to have fucking Cheeto Vera versus Corey Sandhagen, but they needed a good main event for a card with a crowd. So that gets pushed back. They end up bumping up uh, you know, rising flyweight contender Aaron Blanchfield versus previous title challenger Tyler Santos to the main event. And now Tyler Santos is out. And last minute, we've had uh, Jessica Andrade stepping in. Uh, Christian, you weren't on the podcast to recap the last pay-per-view. So do you want to tell everyone your take on Jessica Andrade? Oh, yeah. Uh, she's shot now because she went to decision with Lauren Murphy. 
disregard that it was like a 30-15, she would have finished her if she wasn't shot and bad now. So do you think she's going to lose to Aaron Blanchfield? Oh, God, no. I think she's going to finish Aaron Blanchfield probably within about like seven minutes, if not faster. I, I can't imagine Aaron Blanchfield having any success in any regard. I think she's going to get completely shut out and finished. Yeah, I've enjoyed Aaron Blanchfield's last few fights. She's like scrappy and aggressive and has good submissions and stuff. She kind of reminds me of like uh, Angela Lee or something. Yeah, I, I can't be dramatic enough though. That that reign is coming to an end. She is going. She's maybe not going to fight for a while after this. Uh, Dan, what do you think of Aaron Blanchfield and how does she not get killed by Jessica Andrade? You guys trapped me into talking about this low-level crap, didn't you? There was no mention of this when I signed the fight site contract, guest contract. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I don't like to give definitive picks until I, I run it through my proverbial comb, as I'm sure I'll, I'll still have to, unfortunately, be writing this fight up. But I'll give you guys uh, my early thoughts, which aren't much, and not surprising is, yeah, I, I, I definitely would be, A, leaning in Draj, B, I, I agree with Christian probably within the first seven minutes, and just looking at it right now, it's it's kind of tricky because, like, J.J. Aldridge took her down twice, which doesn't look good. But it's not really helped contextually because the grapple first fighters and Sarah Alpar and Miranda Maverick, for whatever reason, only decided, I gotta go rewatch those fights, they only decided to shoot on her one time apiece, which they were unsuccessful, granted. But again, that doesn't really tell us too much about her takedown defense. And any any kind of strong grapple, you gotta go all the way back to Invicta against Tracy Cortez, where she lost a split. Now, it's been some time since I, I've went back to watch that fight, but uh, a lot of people say that that one kind of went the wrong way, so I, I definitely want to refresh a little bit there, though that's not going to be too relevant. But yeah, I, I got I to refresh on Blanchfield. This is the problem, guys. I, I love Andrade, and it's an upgrade from the Santos, and I've got plenty of profiles and, and work on Andrade out there, but they bury. Say what you will about these divisions. I just hate the fact that whether it's men's lightweight, lighter weight divisions or these women's lighter weight divisions, they bury all the contenders on prelims. And like people like me uh, or people that just have real lives and can only afford to pay attention to the top fights or they're only covering the top fights, like these, these fighters go completely under the radar until they're going to be all of a sudden in a main event or pre-title shot. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to care and they're supposed to have their uh, accrued experience. It's... It's kind of a joke, but I'm not saying anything t that you guys don't already know. Yeah, and I, I have a follow-up question. Um, were you under the impression that we did, did tape for that fight? Uh, no, <laughs> you guys. I don't think you guys are that masochistic, you know? I watched two Aaron Blanchfield fights earlier. I have you know. And, <laughs> I've, I've uh, watched all of her she, fights just on and off as, as her career has gone by. but She did get taken down by... JJ Aldrich, but it I, I don't even know if those should be credited as takedown. She like scrambled to her feet almost immediately and then um like just ended up guillotining Aldrich in a transition. So yeah kind of doesn't really matter. Yep. Uh, she also just got hit by a bunch of like clean straight punches by JJ Aldrich, who is a good boxer. Um, Andrade is like also just like a, a better boxer. She's just like a good, creative, offensive striker at this point. Um, and obviously, it is one of the most ridiculous physical specimens we've ever seen in WMMA. And just seems like too much of a bar to 
climb for Aaron Blanchfield being uh, kind of uh, uh, underpowered to do everything and do violence everywhere kind of fighter, even though she's like pr- pretty technically good in some of those phases. Um, what, what is she supposed to do in this matchup? Yeah, and as much as I complain about UFC structures and and cultivation or lack thereof, I do find it funny that like Andrade keeps saying she's intending to go down to strawweight, but she keeps popping back up to flyweight because of the UFC's snake eating its own tail card filler structure. They need headliners, so she's allowed to just come in here and like snatch all the muffins. As far as like if they were, if the if contenders were muffins baking in an oven, lazily so baked by, by the UFC, but she's just coming by and snatching all this shit before it's ready, and the UFC's gonna have. <laughs> nothing for a division that already has trouble getting contenders so there is some kind of there's something i love about that chaos yeah we, we could have cynthia calvillo versus valentina shevchenko if they just didn't sacrifice <laughs> contenders. oh yeah they robbed us of that one for sure right <laughs> well i mean at least jessica andrade killed cynthia calvillo in a cooler way than valentina shevchenko would have so i'm i'm down with it that's fine True. there's kind of only one other fight i even want to touch on from this card um jim miller Fighting Alex Hernandez? Yeah. Quite strange. Uh, maybe it really doesn't feel like that long ago that uh, Alex Hernandez got absolutely trashed by Billy Quarantillo down at Featherweight. Um, was obvious that uh, if he went down and didn't just win easily, then he was going to be like, well, fuck, that didn't work. Guess I just got to go up. Now, fighting Jim Miller short notice. And the weird thing about this fight is that despite Jim Miller being the uh, significantly more, uh, shall we say, seasoned fighter of the two, uh, if like if this fight was happening two years ago, I'd be like, oh, well, Alex Hernandez wins because Jim Miller had like several years of just uh, having like one round of offense before he would mostly just get gassed and then lose a wrestling decision. Uh, I was like, well, yeah, Alex Hernandez is strong. He can wrestle a bit. Um, now, despite the fact that you would think that in that time, Alex Hernandez would have developed and Jim Miller would just be more shot. Uh, Jim Miller's on like, what a three fight streak of finishes and Alex Hernandez is presumably a complete shell of a man. So that's my analysis for the fight. I'm going to pick Jim Miller by knockout. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go away from that, and I'm going to say this is too similar to the Benil Dariush fight. It's a southpaw that's kind of slow and primarily a grappler that that might just get dinged by the really explosive dude immediately. I don't know what it is. There's something about Alexander Hernandez's like 1980s, 1990s middle school bully in a movie charm that really gets me. And I think that he's, I just think he's going to walk up and throw a big power shot and it's just going to fucking like stun Jim Miller and then he's going to get follow up finished. Although maybe he dings Jim Miller and then gets finished because Jim Miller's got a good counter on him, even when he's hurt. Yeah, like that probably should happen. Um, but the difference is I think Alex Hernandez believed in himself when he knocked out Benil Dariush, and I, I don't know that he does anymore, particularly now that he's broken his streak of a fight a borderline elite guy or actually elite guy and get kind of trashed and then fight a complete can and just uh, completely dunk his nuts in their mouths. Um, 
Now he's just been getting finished by good guys repeatedly. And it's, like I said, it was Billy Q fight. Okay. Can't have been that long ago. I, I just want to say one thing. If you think that the confidence of a middle-class white dude is getting broken by a few losses, <laughs> then you are insane. He, he is certain that he is going to be UFC champion. Yeah, this is interesting. So Alex Hernan, by the way, I am maybe, uh, shout out to Phil McKenzie, maybe it's the sadness hedge in me, but uh, perhaps I'm getting the Benil Daryush vibes because he's coming in here last second, even though um, he doesn't stance switch as much. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that early explosiveness, but it's interesting, including that fight, he's actually 3-1 and one against UFC-level Southpaws. Now, of course, after that, he faces Southpaw OAM and just kind of a a grapple kind of fuck fest, which is pretty impressive considering that, you know, OAM, I like OAM. I think he's a pretty decent fighter. And, uh, and, and the fact that it was like, a, you, a forget about that fight. you know, it was a hype. I mean, Alexander was tired by the end of it, but he still arguably took the third round and won a comfortable decision, you know, going to pace, which seems to be like he can't do now. Now he just kind of gasses out, which was the criticism on Jim Miller, depending on where his not ringworm, what's it called? Um, What's the disease that he has? Lyme's disease. Lyme disease. Yeah, depending on where where that's at, right? Uh, then his 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 third southpaw he faces he also beats, but it's air quote beats. That's Francisco Trinaldo. I don't know if you guys remember that fight. It's a very bad decision, right? And then yep. of course he loses. Awful fight as well. In the post fight, he was like, "Oh, it's an absolute dog fight." You know, we we really went at it. What? Wanted to put on a war for the fans. As he's like just dancing around, like fainting and beating up the air. Um, and then uh, Drew Dover be, uh, beat him up after that uh, for his Southpaw record. So something interesting there. Um, yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I don't know if you guys know this, but my favorite fighter, uh, especially like since I had to ban uh, BJ Penn uh, from you know my lists and fandom there, uh, what that guy's been doing. But uh, is Jim Miller, man? Uh, you know, no fighter's perfect, obviously. But uh, I'm a big Jim Miller fan. Uh, old school me back in the day. He's literally one of my favorite fighters, lightweight. So. Um, I will be rooting for him no matter what. Okay, um, uh, but okay, so a fight that you were trying to sneak past me, but I'm not letting you sneak past me, is Zach Pogger versus Jordan Wright, because that fight is hilarious. It is a heavyweight that just got knocked out at heavyweight, fighting a light heavyweight versus a middleweight who is on a terrible streak at middleweight and is now fighting a light heavyweight. Oh Why is this the co-main event? Oh, I have to write up co-main events. I got to write this up? Yeah, dude. Like, Yo, no, you're in for a treat watching Jordan Jim Wright. Miller All his fights like, are short. Jim Miller is, like, easily the biggest name on the whole card. I don't know. Guys, not only that, I, I got to write a, a betting breakdown for co-main events. So, Yo. like, I, oh, my God. I, it's it's going to be a lean this week, no matter what it is. It ain't a bet that I can rec- I, I can't recommend anybody bet on this fight with a straight face. You oh, I me? can. <laughs> I, bet on bet on fourth graders fighting. He's more predictable. Bet on the heavyweight to be the guy that's been knocked out like forty five times. Yeah, no, yeah, Zach Pogba definitely over Jordan Wright, who's a, I mean, the, the glassiest of 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 miniature uh, cannons. Uh, but not that he's that small. But you know what I mean. He's just not not a big cannon that he's pointing at you and very yeah. very very breakable. More like a glass baseball bat. Yeah, a little more simpler. Yeah, he he swings. God will. God help him. He swings. Um. Yeah, Pauga training at an elevation fight team with some good people. Yeah, and he got he got knocked out at heavyweight by a dude that's fucking huge. You know, <laughs> shit happens. I, I don't expect it to matter that much. And now he's down at two hundred five, which seems like more his natural weight class. He was just kind of fighting up 
for the sake of being on tough. I don't think it's going to help his chin, though. It did not seem like oh, a no. weight-cutting problem at all. Like, he he actually did self-admittedly, like, would come in a fight. He's like, I'm 186 already. I'm not even cutting weight. And now seeing that this is at 205 against a former heavyweight, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm seeing uh, William Knight versus Marcin Pracnio. I oh, just want to watch that because it's so funny. Thick Willie. That fight is pretty silly. So Bracknio uh, might just win somehow. He's, he I just think Bracknio is probably going to put on a clinic from range. He is. Or he'll get dusted. Yeah, maybe. But Bracknio beat Khalil Roundtree. Yeah, this this should be lined. I'm a big Thick Willie fan just because he's a comical mean fighter, and you guys have my, oh, have permission to use the name Thick Willie. Is- Absolutely tremendous, and I am going to be calling him Thick Willie from now on. That's I've right. also uh, I've also taken to calling Giles and Almeida the Jail Man because yes, yeah, well. Jail Man, it's going to Pound Town, baby. Um, but uh, doing the prison love story, <laughs> prison love story, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, you got Carbo Parisian on this fight, Josh Parisian, the the, the long lost Parisian brother who was misplaced in the Midwest and forced to survive on carbs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, dude, between this and we, we just had Por- Parker Porter and Tafa, we had Ivanov and Tabora. I mean, we don't talk enough about the UFC's newest division, not the heavyweight division, the T-shirt and the pool division. I mean, shit, it, business is booming. Wow. Jamal Pokes? Oh, man. We got yeah, everybody never, here. Yeah, never losing out. <laughs> and, oh, and uh, then the last fight I actually want to talk about uh, in any series tone is Lena Landsberg versus Meyer Bueno Silva because those two are sick but Lena Landsberg's old and Meyer Bueno Silva is inconsistent and very flighty. Yeah I'm also not not too sure about Meyer Bueno Silva at bantamweight just because her thing at flyweight was just being just, just, just having Cheeto there at energy just being like I'm huge and violent and I, I could really, really see I'm just like walking into the clinch and getting fucked up in this fight Yeah she's and she's a 4-1 to favorite that's only like that's crazy. Women's yeah. MMA Lena Landsberg classic upsets right there. That's crazy. Yeah, Lena Landsberg also uh, seemed to maybe be shot in the clinch in her last fight. It seems like her main True. Ga- mm-hmm. like function of her game might be gone because if you're having troubles in the clinch with Carol Rosa, you're probably going to have more troubles in the clinch with someone that even very loosely can be considered uh, like bizarro Cheeto Vera. Oh my god, of course they're going to do the main card. No, they can't do that. What? Only four fights main card? They're listing William Knight and Marcin Pregnia opening the main card, despite Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez being right below. They can't do that. They're mad. They're like, oh, they're, they're anti-Joe Silva. They do not open. Joe Silva used to always use featherweight and 155 to open up main cards, because why the fuck not? They do not do that anymore. It's all heavyweights. It's all heavyweights, middleweights, and light heavyweights, and we get one light, lighter weight fight class on the main card. So that's that card. Yes. It's not great. Yeah, if you don't follow Dan Tom's stuff, um, go check it out. Protect your net podcast. Um, what else is it you do, Dan? Uh, I do stuff over on Junkie in the Action Network, but uh, I, I post it all on Twitter where I'm, I'm, I'm most active on socials, at Dan Tom MMA. Just, you can find me there. That's where everything's at. Yeah, if you're not following Dan Tom and you're in this sphere, then what are you doing? Particularly if you're a degenerate gambler and you're into all that stuff. Uh, I mean, if you're a gambler and you're listening to this show and not Dan's show, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. This, this, is, not the, <laughs> this is not the place for that stuff. 
Oh, too kind, too kind. But yeah, uh, as always, um, if you enjoyed this content, all the other great stuff the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really great analytical content and a Discord server where we're all very active. You can come hang out with staff. It's always a good time. Uh, this has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us next week. So we'll see you guys then. See you guys then. Uh, yeah, follow the fight site. Follow Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. Peace out, dudes. Later. Later.